Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethompson.com. You know, we talked last week, we've been, I'm going to finish today a series called Victorious, Be Victorious. And we finished off last week with the verse that I quoted a moment ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it speaks about it, the newness in Christ. And then, of course, we went over to Colossians chapter 3 where it says, take off the old man, the old nature, that stuff that we're carrying around in our life, the, the things of yesteryear, the things of last week, the things that we can't seem to just, just shake off. And we talked about that, and, and the verse came to mind. In fact, i got to give Brother Steve uh, McGuire preached at funeral the other day, did an incredible job, and he quoted a verse of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And it says that, therefore, since we are compassed about with so a great cloud of witnesses. And, and if you look at that, it's, there's people that are, that are rooting for you. There are people that are, that are, that are crying out for you, that are, that are believing in you. And that great cloud of witnesses is, are those saints that have gone before us. The Bible says that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of the Lord when one sinner repents. Notice it didn't say that the angels are rejoicing. It says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of the Lord, meaning that all of heaven, uh, heaven erupts when one sinner comes to the well. And it says, wherefore, we are also compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses. Let us, listen to me, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us. That we can run with patience the race that is set before us. That there's a race to run. There's a, a race to win. It's called the high calling in Christ Jesus. Every one of you have it on your life. But I want you to notice in that verse that it says, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and sin. We're not just talking about laying down the sins of our life. It's really easy for church and for pastors to stand in behind a pulpit every day and say, do this, don't do that, clean this area of your life. And, and I think there's a place for that. I think we have a duty and a responsibility to call sin, sin. But I want to go one step further than that and say, you know, there's also those weights in your life that may very well not be sin, Brother Steve. They're weights. They're things that hold us down. Here's what I believe to be true. We look for some things in our life that will fill these voids, and they may very well not be a sin, but they may not be the best thing for your life either. And they become a weight. In fact, I can say it this way. The number one person in my life, hands down, is my wife. That's the way God intended it. But if I put her before Christ Jesus in my life, she can become a weight. She can become an obstacle. And I know that doesn't preach well. It doesn't sound well. I'll get in trouble for that this evening. But here's the deal. we got to lay aside the weights, shake off those heavy bands, if you will, in our life that are not necessarily sins, but they're things in our life that are preventing us from going forward in the race of life. And then I love verse 2. I love the verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who before the joy that was set before him endured at the cross. The joy that was set before him. Did you, did you get that? That there's a joy before the foundation of the world that he knew as he created you and I that we would fail him. He knew we would fall in the garden. He knew we would fall last week. He knows we're going to fall tomorrow. But guess what? The Bible says he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world before he ever breathed life into the first man, the first woman, into you, into your children, he had a plan of redemption, and he calls it joy. That he was joyfully about redeeming us before we ever fail. 
So when you talk about laying those things aside, here's what I believe to be true today. We need to lay aside some bitterness in our life. There's some people in this room that have not forgiven someone from long, long, long ago. You wake up every stinking morning and you pick that junk up. Can I tell you something? That person who hurts you, they done got over it. They done let it go. And you're carrying that thing around and it's like a backpack full of rocks. I've seen people year after year after year in church. I've been in church most of my life. Got saved in 1992. And I've watched people walk the aisle of a church and lay down a burden at, at this altar, what we call an altar. And they get up walking away clean. They get up walking away redeemed. They get up walking away having, having felt like that whatever was in that junk, that box, that thing, they laid it down and they walked away, man, feeling liberated. You can see it in their faces. You've seen it. They laid down that weight and that sin that does so easily beset or those things that would hold us down, that would entangle us. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Here's the problem though. At some point in time, Doug, maybe this morning people lay that junk down and turn and walk off. Maybe you leave it laying in your seat and you walk out of here victorious. You get down the road and Josh Sermons don't know this. Nobody knows this. Some of you break back in the church in the wee hours of the night. You come back in here and find where you were sitting or you find out where you laid that thing and you pick it up and you take it on with you and you keep carrying it week after week after week, after year, after year, after year. And Jesus already died for it. He's already redeemed it. You've been made clean in the eyes of Jesus. And you keep carrying that stinking weight and that sin around with you. When Jesus died for that thing, when he said it's finished, it was settled in heaven, you should lay it down and walk away. But I believe there's some things we need to hold on to as well. Maybe, maybe it's becoming easier for some of us to lay some things down. What about the things we need to hold on to? I want to bring a message to you this morning, simply entitled, Hold On. I want you to look to your neighbor and say, it's going to get rough. Go on, tell them again, they didn't hear you. Look at them and say, it's going to get tough. Look at, look at them like this. You know how you, if you, any, any of y'all got glasses, you put them like into your nose, you know, when you get real serious, do like that. Even if you don't have glasses, on, look at them like that and say, I said, it's going to get tough. But then look at them like this and say, but hold on. And what do we hold on to? I'm going to give you seven things this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 103, verses 1 through 2. The psalmist, a man who was associated with pain and loss and hurt, he defamed the kingdom. He defamed his God. When Nathan the prophet looked at him after sin with Bathsheba, and he stuck his old finger in his face, and he said, you're the man. You're the man who has defamed the kingdom. You're the man who has defamed God. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says he fell to his knees, and he said, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. The man who wrote the Psalms was not a guy, Bill, who had it all together. Sometimes we look at that and we go, wow, this man has some of the most beautiful, poetic, musical songs known to man. But read Psalm 51 where he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew the right spirit within me. When he cries out to God and say, let not your spirit be far from me, God. Come back to me. God, when are you going to pour out wrath upon my enemies? This man understood hurt. He understood failure. He understood pain. But yet he's called a man after God's own heart. And here's what he says in Psalm 103, verses 102. I love the beautiful language here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And in verse 2, here's our, here's our point today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I think some people in the house today just need to remember what God's done for them. It's easy to cast down those heavy burdens, guys. It preaches great. 
Lay down that bitterness. Lay down that malice. Lay down that sin nature. Lay down that sin-stained garment. Lay down that old and put on the new. But what about the things we need to hold on to? What about the things we need to grab on to and look at Satan square in the face and say, I resist you, James 4, 7, and part B. I resist you by the power of Jesus, and you must flee from me. And look him in the face and say, you can't have this. I'm going to hold on to this. Let me give you seven things that I believe we need to hold on to. Number one, I think we need to hold on to the joy that is our strength. We need to hold on to the joy that strengthens us. I want you to know that joy and happiness is completely different things. In fact, sometimes I submit to you that they're diametrically opposed. We're not always happy. In fact, if I look at people in the church today, I think we're never happy because I want you to look at your neighbor right now. They don't have a smile on their face. Look at them real quick. Now everybody starts smiling. They go, oh, I'm happy. You know why? Because happiness is dependent upon our happenings in our life. You're not happy when your kid gets a bad grade. You're not happy when your, when your wife uh, does something that irritates. You're not happy when your husband goes hunting when you wanted him to go shopping. You're not happy when you have to have a family reunion with the in-laws. And Did, did I say that out loud? I don't mean that, really. I'm sorry. I love y'all. I do. She's going to spit in my biscuits. I guarantee you she is. You know, we don't have to be happy when we don't win a game. I mean, how many of you competitive out there? How many competitors you know that you guys are competitive and you ain't happy when you lose? How many of y'all were happy? How many Georgia Bulldog fans out there? I ain't even gonna say nothing about that. <laughs> you ain't happy now, right? There's like one Florida Gator fan in the house, Bubba White. Who really cares, Bubba? Who really cares? Let me just say it. That's what I love about the SEC. Anything can happen. See, the Bible says Nehemiah writing. Nehemiah was a man called, of course, to rebuild the walls around the temple of Jerusalem after the fall. He was preaching to an exiled people, a people who were the remnants, if you will, God's people, people who had seen destruction, people who had seen uh, turmoil, people who were frustrated at every single aspect. Let me tell you something. You and I don't know frustration like the people of Israel knew during the Babylonian captivity. And he was crying out somewhat like Jeremiah, but he had a duty, he had a job to do. But you know what he said in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10? He says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know why? He was saying, I'm not happy. I'm not going to be kicking and screaming that everything's just going great because quite frankly, everything is going crazy right now. But one thing I know, God is fixed. He is solid. He is unchangeable. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy is not based on a happening in your life. Joy is based on who your eyes are fixed upon. Turn your affections off the things of this world and fix them on the things of Jesus. Your joy will be unmovable. Joy suggests this. I don't wake up in the morning and say, Stephanie, your job today, starting with fixing me a cup of coffee, I don't do that. I fix her coffee. But because but, the Bible said Hebrews, so I had to do that. But but the, the fact is, is I say, I say, <laughs> I always love the one in the back that's going. What does that mean? It's in the Bible. Read it. It's not Stephanie's job to bring me joy. It's not your spouse's job to bring me joy. Hey, how many hunters in the house? Check it out. I used to go hunting, and if I didn't kill a deer, I was not a happy man. How many of y'all remember the day where if you didn't kill a deer, that they would cut the back of your shirt out? My dad used to come home with the back end of his shirt cut out. Does anybody remember that kind of stuff at the hunting clubs? I don't really know what that was about. It was really weird. But here's the thing. I can have joy now, Alan, going to the woods and not even seeing a deer. 
You know why? Because when I get out there, I, I'm, I know I'm getting older, but I'm just more fixed on his creation than I am anything about killing a deer. I like to kill a deer. Don't get me wrong. Lord, I'm just saying. What's your strength today? I want to hold on to the joy that strengthens me. Secondly, you need to hold on to the testimony that reminds you. Can you count it all the joy when you fall into various temptations and trials in your life? Can you be like the Acts 540 apostles? It says, and they departed from the presence of the council, quote, rejoicing for them when they were counted worthy to suffer the shame for his name. Keep in mind, they had just been beaten. They had just been flogged. They had just been uh, told that they cannot preach this Jesus anymore. And the Bible says that they walked out with joy, unspeakable. And their testimony was what? They were going to die a martyr's death. But the testimony was that, that Jesus was going to receive the honor and the glory for it. In 1992, in October the 29th, I wasn't looking for Jesus. Certainly wasn't clean enough to accept him. I didn't have it all figured out. Had no hope. The day that, that the Lord saved me, I had, I had, uh, I had been drinking and, and, and was, just, was just, hey, I was chilling. I was chilling in the lazy boy. My wife comes in there. She goes, hey, you want to go to a haunted house? I'm like, yeah. Let's go to a haunted house. Little did I know, it was actually not haunted house. It was Tribulation Trail over in Stockbridge, Georgia. She was taking me to a Bible house. And I went through there. I had, I'd been in the military, and I don't know, you know, I was probably 19 years old. I mean, you feel like you're, you're made of stone. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can harm you. Nobody can tell you anything. I knew more than mom or dad. You know the deal. You've been there. Man, I walked in there with my... My little wife of five two, and we walked in, and 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 Tyler was just me and her, and you know I was walking in, going, "This is silly, this is silly." I'm walking through this thing, and I start seeing hell on earth unfold in an apocalyptic nature that I'd never seen before, unfold in a, in a dramatization of the Word of God through Daniel and Revelation. It began to unfold, and and I'm I'm just walking through there, you know, I got a little, you know, because I didn't care. I'm like, you ain't gonna scare me, but you know, whatever, and just start doing that little crazy thing, and and then all of a sudden, Steve, something happened. I begin to break. I begin to feel weak. I begin to become afraid. When I got to that final tent, what they call the conversion tent, I, I walked in and man, I was done. I'm holding on to her. She probably got finger grips in her arm. I'm holding on to my, my little bride and I'm walking through, you know, and, and the guy looked at me. He said, Do you want to know Jesus? You know, I, I didn't even know if I did. Then he said something else. Where are you going to spend eternity? Man, I held my head down and I went, I don't know. He said, do you want to know? I said, yeah, I do. And I prayed that day and I asked Jesus into my heart. I didn't get it all right. I didn't understand it all. I didn't join some church or some organization. I didn't quote scripture. I just came as I was. And the testimony that reminds me is I know, I know where I was when he came looking for me. Does anybody in the house remember where you were when he came looking for you? I do. You need to be reminded by that testimony. We need to hold on to that. Thirdly, man, I love this. We need to hold on to the grace that sustains us. The grace that keeps me. Many of you probably front flown through New York through LaGuardia's airport. Maybe you didn't know what kind of man that that airport was named after. The 99th mayor of the city of New York, Fiorello LaGuardia, in 1935, one cold winter's night, the irrepressible, Fixed, certain, 
mayor of New York, showed up one night at a court to process some judicial renderings at one of the worst wards in the city. He dismissed the judge that night because the judge had been busy all day and took over the bench, having been an attorney and a judge himself. That night, a tattered, broken woman charged with stealing a loaf of bread was brought before him. She defended herself by saying, my daughter's husband has deserted her. She is sick and her children are starving. The shopkeeper refused to drop the charges, saying, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished so that others may learn. LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the old woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail, that's the verdict. However, while pronouncing the sentence, LaGuardia reached into his own pocket, took out a $10 bill, threw it into his hat, and with these famous words, he says, here's the $10 for the fine, which now I remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren may eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, a New York newspaper reported quote, $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Making forced donations were among red-faced storekeepers, 70 petty criminals, and a few frowning New York policemen. Sometimes, he wrote, we don't get what we deserve. That old grandmother that day, by the letter of the law, deserved punishment. She didn't get it. She deserved justice, but mercy answered. She deserved a stay in the city jail, but she got to go home. The grace of God is very indicative of that very story. If you and I got what we deserve, we would be in hell. We would be separated from a holy God. Mark, why is that? Mark, why would a holy God create a place like that? It's very simple. For him to be just, for him to be righteous, he has to deal. You want him to deal with good in your life. When you do good, we look up to heaven and go, hey, God, hook a brother up. Did you not see what I did today when that offering plate came by? God, you did not see what I did when that little old lady was walking across the street. God, did you not know I went and built a wheelchair ramp with money out of my pocket? God, deal with me accordingly. But when we sin and we fail God, we don't want God to deal with that. See, the reality is that because God is just, he has to deal entirely with sin in the same manner in which he deals entirely with holiness. You see, that's why there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. But please hear me today. Hell was not created for you and I. Hell was created for Satan and his followers. To get to hell, God doesn't send you there. You step over the redemptive yet resurrected body of Jesus Christ, look into a perfect love and say, I don't want it. I reject that. We would be insane to say no to the grace and the mercy of God. Yet every day we do it. I've used this so many times in in foreign countries. I pull out my cell phone. And there's people who really desire a phone because there are no such thing as landlines in some of these countries. And I pull out my phone and I say, if I offered you this phone, what would you do? And they, pow, their hand pops out. And I say, why would you not say no to it? They say, well, you'd be a fool to reject something so kind. And I put the phone in their hand and they take it and they, they bring it over to themselves and they begin to look at it. I said, you know what? 
The Bible says to as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the power to become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Yet every single day across this world, Jesus is going, I died for you. I paid the bill. It's done. All you got to do is walk in it. And people left and right of all walks of life, rich and poor, famous and indiscriminate people do this. Fold their arms and say, I refuse the gift of love. God help us because it's not based upon your merit. I'm not going to heaven today because I'm a preacher. I'm not going to heaven today because we do rush weekend. I'm not going to heaven today because I have seen and witnessed thousands of people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming, I'm going before God's throne, innocent of the the sin that I have committed based upon his merit. That's called grace. Let us hold on to the grace that sustains us. Number four. I want to hold on today to the persuasion that keeps me. The Bible says, for I'm persuaded. That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you weren't keeping up, Paul just listed perhaps every single possible fathomable thing that could separate you from love in your finite mind. Yet he said none of it can separate you from a holy God. And if there's any wandering Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For by God all things are created in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him. And watch this. And for him. And in verse 17, And all things consist or hang in place by his hand. I don't know if you know this or not, but the difficulty that you and I experience in our life, God allowed it. Go back to 12, uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews. In verse 2, where it says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. If you put the author and the finisher together, you come up with the word developer. I'm not there yet. But when I was in, in, in college, I had to go evaluate a photographer, a, a, a photographer, not, not like what we see today in, in, in an instant world of, of digital cameras and instant footage. You pop in a disc, you pop it in a computer, you can do a couple of touch-ups, and everybody's a photographer. You know what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the one who had to take the picture with an old AE-1 program Canon or something like that. They had to take a picture, had to take a roll of film, had to take it into a dark room and had to develop it. See, real, real, real photographers from old, they were also their own developers because they wanted, watch this, they knew what they saw when they took the picture and they wanted to make sure that when it was developed, it looked exactly as they saw it. There's something interesting, though, about the developing process. When that picture was taken, there was a light that came out, a flash. And it fixed that image on that roll of film. But then that that developer would take it into a dark, dark, dark room. No light could come in. It would ruin it. Light fixed it, but it was darkness that it would become real. It would come to fruition. And they would take that image that had been fixed and they would put it in a dark room. And under the care of that, that developer, they would put it in certain solutions and complete and utter darkness. Before you know it, it would begin to develop. Sometimes it can be underdeveloped. You know what that means? Somebody walked in and opened the door. Hey, Mom, what you doing? And the light came in and everything was ruined. 
Or maybe it could be overdeveloped. They would stay in the darkness too long. I submit to you that your faith is the exact same way. Listen, the day that Jesus shined his light into your life, he saved you. At that moment in time, it was fixed and settled in heaven forever. Nothing can separate you. And I'm persuaded nothing can take me out of God's hand. But check it out. I'm not done yet. Though his image has been stamped forever on my heart, it's in the darkest, darkest of darkest places that my faith has truly developed. The great developer, the author, and the finisher's name is Jesus. He takes me into that dark place. He allows me to go into that dark place. It's scary in there. It's lonely in there. But his hands are on me like it is with the potter to the clay, and he's just fashioning and he's developing. And sometimes I pray, God, get me out of here. God, relieve me. God, take me out. And I come out too soon. And guess what, Lee? I'm underdeveloped because he wasn't done. But hear me. Don't miss this. Child of God, hear me loud and clear. Sometimes we get overdeveloped in the dark room. Do you know why? Because of our murmuring, because of our frustration, because we look to God and go, what are you doing? Why don't you just stand firm in the faith that saved you and know he's the author and he's the finisher and say, God, whatever it takes, I'm in here with you. It may be dark, but I know you're the light. Shine in my life. Develop me, mold me, make me in your image and bring me out when you're ready for me to come out because I'm coming out stronger than when I went in. I'm persuaded of that today. As the band makes their way up. I'm also a number five. I want to hold on to the encouragement that empowers me. I need to be encouraged. There's some people in this room, and, and, and I'm not going to call their names, but there's one guy in particular, every now and again, quite often, he will, he will text me. These little one-liners, a little couple of sentences here and there, and just encouraging me and telling me how awesome I am. And I'm like going, are you kidding me, dude? And what's funny is as he's doing that, I'm sitting by myself or I'm riding down the road thinking of how unawesome I am. At the right time, this guy sends something into my life and says, I just want you to know I'm so thankful for you and Stephanie. I'm so thankful for your testimony. I'm thankful for your leadership. And I'm, and I'm like, going, has anybody, has that ever happened to anybody else? You get a call or something at, right at the moment where you're going, I am a loser. That was God. God did that. So, so here's what I want to qualify. You and I need to be encouraged. So check this out. This morning, I was sitting, I got up early because I slept good with extra hours sleep. Anybody liking that? God's in that thing. Well, I do that every week. Flip it back tomorrow and then flip it back next Saturday. That's awesome. This morning, I was sitting there and, and, and I got up early. I just, I don't know, I couldn't sleep. I slept great last night. It was amazing. And I got up this morning really early and I was drinking my coffee and I made it because he brews. And I was sitting there and God just started putting people into my life, in my heart. And I pulled my phone out and I just started, I text about maybe 15 people for different reasons. Some pastors, some not. Some people have lost loved ones. Some people just got put on my heart. And almost every one of them came back. Had one pastor in particular, a good friend of mine. Oh my gosh, this man is so important to my, to my life. And I just told him, I, said, I just want you to know, I'm paraphrasing, because it's personal it's between me and him. And I just said, I just want you to know how important you are. And I said, I just want you to know that I don't allow a lot of men of God to speak into my life the way I should, but I want you to know you matter. You know what he did? He came back and texted me. He said, you have no idea how much I needed that right now because I am feeling so discouraged and low in my life. And I'm going, how could you feel that way? You're so awesome. We need to be encouraged. Let me say it this way. 
You need to be careful about who you hang around with because there's only two kind of people in the world. There's the people that pull from you and the people that build you up. But if, you, if you're around people, man, and that are in your life that you've allowed in your inner circle, and every time you get, hear me, every time you get around them, you feel worse, pray for them. Be careful. Because the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I hear enough negativity into my life, and here's what I'm talking about. If God called me to start this church and God called us to do rush and God called us to do some things that sometimes people don't agree with, guess what? When those people come into my life and say, I really don't think you ought to do that. I really don't think, let me tell you what I do. I go, hey man, I appreciate your heart. I appreciate your, your, your opinion, but check it out. My eyes are fixed on him. You be careful about where you hang out. Oh, Mark, here you go. You're talking about the bars and the clothes. No, no, no. You need to be careful where you go. You need to be careful about what you allow to be poured into your life. I've shared this with you guys many, many times. When, when I, Stephanie and I got married, I was a 96 rock guru. You know, I had my 96 rock tag on my Z28 flipped upside down. Y'all know it's still said 96. It's kind of cool. And I told Stephanie this, and she was like listening to Sandy Patty, the Happy Goodmans, people I had no clue who they were. And she was going, Mark, you just need to listen to the right kind of music. And I'm saying, let me tell you something. I'll go to church with you, but you ain't taking my 96 rock. But what I found was that the more I listened to her music, the more encouraged I felt. Today, I like listening to Christian music because it encourages me. If you like country music, for example, not encouraging to me. Everybody dies. Everybody's broken. They run out of this and that. A dog usually gets kicked somewhere in the song. It's terrible. But not only that, guys. I want to be around people that are speaking hope in my life. People that are believing God with me. I want to be around people who say, hey, we can do this. It doesn't matter what's going on. But we're going to bombard heaven with a water pistol if that's what it takes. We're going to do whatever it means to get to the end of this thing. Because what we know to be true today is there are people out there that need to hear the gospel. We didn't do fall festival so we could be the church in town that has inflatables. Man, we did the fall festival because of the brokenness that's in this town and people walking by that just need a lifting of their head to be encouraged. That's what we're about. That's what you need to be about. That's what the cross is about. That's what we're about. And the last thing we need to hold on to, we need to hold on to the Holy Spirit that indwells me. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you a truth, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. Heard a preacher this morning on TV as I was listening. He said, God doesn't comfort you so that you'll be comfortable. I never heard it put that way. I thought, well, I didn't know that. I thought he wanted me comfortable. No, no, no. He says, the Holy Spirit comforts you in your brokenness and your time of distress so that you may comfort somebody else. People need comforting. People need encouraging. People need strength. And people need their heads lifted. When their heads are dragging the ground, somebody needs to come alongside them and say, hey man, you can do it. But, but the greatest thing I want to hold on to is the Holy Spirit that lives in me. Because on October 29th of 1992, He began to abide in my life and my heart. 
I didn't get it all right. I didn't stop all the things that I'd done that I shouldn't have done. None of that happened overnight. It didn't take me overnight to get to that point. I'm certainly not going to just walk away from those things. There's an urgency, a, a, a drawing in our flesh in the same way there is in the Spirit. Paul said that. He said, I'm constantly at battle. The things I want to do, I don't do those things. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. He was speaking of that spiritual warfare, and it's all around you. But if you walk in the flesh, you'll fulfill the lust thereof. But if you walk in the spirit of a holy God and say, God, without you, I'm nothing but in you and through you and with you, I can do all things. All things. The greatest of which is just to bow your head and your heart and say, God, I'm a sinner. I failed you. But today I receive you as Lord of my life. Just say yes to Jesus. You don't have to understand it all. I shared this the other night. When Jeremy came to live with us, I didn't say, hey man, this is what it's going to look like. I just said, do you want to go home with me? He knew there was food, there was a house, and there was, there was, there was love. He didn't understand it all. He didn't know we had a lot of rules that accompanied that. But he said, yeah man, I'll go. Yeah, I'll take that deal. That's a pretty snazzy deal if I could ask to say so myself. You don't have to understand all that Jesus is asking of you today. Just say yes to Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit sort that out. It is not my job, Tommy. It is not yours. And it is not yours to clean up anybody. That is not what God has called me to do. He told me to be a fisher of men. I mean, I'm just casting nets. Whatever comes in is God's business. Whatever goes out is God's business. Whatever gets clean is God's business. It ain't my job to clean you up and get you right with God. The Holy Spirit is quite capable of doing that. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll stand with you. I know where I came from. I know how dirty I was. And I know that without him, how undone I'd be today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just hold on today. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right here, right now, right this very second, I want you to pray this prayer in faith with me from your heart to God. Say, dear God in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, will you save me? If you pray that prayer in faith, not about a magic prayer, not about me saying those words with you, but that is the scripture that says that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you pray that today, no one looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you or come to you, but if you prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, right now, just lift your hand up. Hold it up for just a moment, just real quickly. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? I'm looking around. God bless you, sir. God bless you, little one. Still looking around. God bless you, sir. How about the rest of you? Mark, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of God. I know I have heaven for a home, but man, I've, I've been running from God for a long time. Today, I just want to come back to faith in him. You don't have to walk down here, but just want to lift your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I'm restoring my life to him today. Lift it up real quick, real quick. God bless you. Hands are going up all over the room. Lift it up high. Lift it up. Amen. God bless you, sis. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. You, man. Here's what I want to do. Everyone, please stand to your feet. I'm just going to do one piece of a song, and then we got to go. I'm going to stand down front. If God spoke to your heart in some kind of way today, if you want to just come shake my hand and walk away. Say, Mark, why do you do that? Because here's what I believe to be true. We need to challenge one another to take a stand for him in here or you'll never stand for him out there. The doors of our church are wide open. See one of these guys down here. If you got saved and you want to know more, Ben is over here. 
Bill is over here. Others are down front. You just want prayer. Come with your family. But if you just want to shake my hand or slap me a high five and say, hey, I heard from him today, and turn around and walk away. You don't have to say. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. For further information about Northridge Church, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com.